All right. Hey, Phil. <laughs> All right. It's on. Check. All right. Okay. So we've been in a series called Walk. And uh, Lauren, if you could put the verses on the screen here. This is what this series has been based in. I think it's at the very end of the slide. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. So this is what this whole series has been based in. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So this was a unique sermon series for us because usually we would take a text like that and we would spend a week on it, and then we go on to verses 18 through 21, verses 22 through 31, and so on. And, and that's, that's expositional preaching, where you just walk through books of the Bible, listen to what God is saying. But this text tells us to look carefully at how we walk. Not, not just to look quickly at how you walk, but to carefully look. And, and so we have a unique series here. We've, been, we've spent seven weeks in sermons based on this verse, but what I want to do first is just ask... The question, Ryan, especially as, as a pastor, what did God do? What was he working in your heart? And how did he lead you to, to make the decision, we, we should spend seven weeks on this passage mm. as a church? What, what factors were going on that led to that decision? Yeah. When I pray for Redeemer, and when I look out at Redeemer, either looking out every Sunday or Wednesday, or look out at Redeemer whenever I'm praying during the week, I see a group of individuals and families who are seeking to know the Lord, to worship the Lord, to honor the Lord, to, to do the right things. I really, I'm, I'm so thankful for our church body. But at the same time, I also see that we have blind spots. Like if, to answer that question, I could answer it in that one word, blind spots. I think that we all have a temptation and a tendency to have blind spots in our lives. And so we, we see only a certain part of our Christian life and we say, okay, we're going to do good at that. And we don't see the wider angle. We, we lose our peripheral vision of other callings in our lives. And so um, I see what is a strength for some people in our church is a great weakness in another um, for other people in our church. And what's a great um, strength in this person is a weakness for this other person or this other family. And so um, we're all trying to row in the same direction, but we're only seeing certain aspects of our calling, of our walk. And so we're, we're shortchanging what God wants to do in our lives and we're short-circuiting what God wants to do in our church. And so, frankly, that was the kind of the impetus behind it is, can we get everybody rowing in the same direction with all the oars, um, with all the oars? Because um, as it stands, we're, we're, we're just, uh, we're, we're coming up a little bit short because I don't think we understand the totality of our calling in Christ. Yeah, yeah. I remember as we talked about it that maybe where the discussion started, is, started was as a church, this isn't for individuals necessarily, but as a collective church, the recognition that in our ambassadorship and in our mission, out of our four pillars over there, that, that has consistently been 
the weakest of the four. Mm -hmm. um, not that it's totally weak, and, and, and we've seen the Lord working, and we know that people are, are faithfully seeking to share the gospel, but as a collective church that we need to grow there, and, and I was noticing even this morning as I was looking at this text, it says, look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. So he's saying this in response to what came before. And what came before is Paul telling the church, you are lights in a dark world, and you are supposed to function as lights, whereby in your light God will raise people from the dead to be with Christ. Look carefully then how you walk. It's the, whole, the whole context for this passage is how are you functioning as lights in a dark world. And, and so it, it really you know, calls us into, this text in this series has called us to look at our day-to-day -day lives and are we being the type of lights that, will, that Christ will be able to use to resurrect people through the light of his glory in our lives. And so... Let me interrupt you because yeah. I want to give a personal example about like a blind spot. So like three months ago, I think that I was really um, trying to be what God had called me to be. But in the midst of it, I think I was really losing my identity as, uh, as a dad and what my calling as a, as a dad was. But in the midst of preparing for this uh, time, this series... And then reading and then, and then just working and praying on these things, I think I've recaptured my function, my identity and my function as a father as the Lord's kind of made me look carefully then how I walk. And so um, I think that we have to understand this series in a very personal nature, like I've looked at my own life, if we're going to really reap what, we're, what God wants us to reap out of it. Yeah. Now that kind of leads to the second question here, we, you know, so for... Seven weeks we've been in the series. The last six weeks, six weeks we have looked at God-given roles. And, and you guys have seen Ryan's um, sheet of paper that he has. It's on his wall in his office. Sometimes he'll bring it out. And, and what it says is, I'm a worshiper. I'm a husband. Mm -hmm. I'm a father. Mm -hmm. I'm a pastor. Mm -hmm. I'm a worker. Mm -hmm. I'm an evangelist. I'm a friend. So on yep. and so forth. And, and, and that was one way that we got this idea to, for how we walk through this series, but, but I do want to point out that this, this isn't original. What, what happens right after Paul says these words in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17? He says, here's, here's how you walk as church members. Yep. Here's how you walk as wives and husbands. Here's how you walk as parents and children. Here's how you walk as workers. Mm -hmm. That's where Paul goes in Ephesians, and, and that's where we've sought to go as a church. What are our roles and responsibilities? Now, what I want to ask is, well, first, I'll, I'll remind us of one principle. The sermon I preached from this series on worship, I said that worship is our highest calling, and every other calling depends on it. And so we know that worship is the priority as far as our roles and responsibilities in this life. We are worshipers. Everything else flows from that. After worship, Ryan, does Scripture indicate any priority to mm. workers church members, ambassadors, parents, children, mm. wives, husbands. Is there a priority that we can delineate in Scripture that we should give to some of these roles over others? I believe there is, biblically speaking, Phil. Let me, let me illustrate it by um, how many of you have read uh, either short or long biographies of missionaries? Have you ever read stories about missionaries? Okay, so you know that many missionaries through the times have gone out with great excitement and zeal to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in a foreign land. And in doing so, they left some people behind. Who, who, who did a lot of missionaries leave behind when they went to the field? 
their own family, their own family. And they were doing it in the name of Christ. They were doing it for the cause of Christ. Um, but I look back on that and I feel like that those missionaries had a blind spot. And the blind spot that I feel like they had is they, as reading the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, I think that they missed the principle of covenant and the principle of priority, relational priority. And so from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see principles like, for instance, the very first institution that God created on planet Earth. Does anybody know what it was? Marriage. Marriage is the first institution that God created. And then in the book of Revelation, in the last institution, he's saying there's going to be the ultimate marriage supper of the Lamb. And so all the way through, we see the priority of marriage. And so if, if I look at my role as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and so I'm, I really want to go represent him to all the athletes and coaches and students in Calhoun County, and I'm just constantly gone, and my family, my wife sees me, our marriage, and my boys see me and our, our family very sparingly. But in their mind, they think, well, dad's an ambassador, and so he's going out and doing this ambassadorial work. This is the thing, is I, I'm sincere, but I'm sincerely wrong about what God has prioritized. Because God has prioritized marriage and family according to how he has institutionalized it, how he has created providential means by Cody, Adam, and Carson are the I'm their only dad. They're my only children. Nobody else is responsible to love them and protect them and provide for them and to shepherd their hearts. That's not your job, Mark. That's not your job, Anthony. That's my job. And so, so my priority has to be my boys over going out and doing all these things outside because God has institutionally and covenantally established it so in the same way as with the relationship with, with my wife. And so I think by way of precedent, by way of commonality, uh, 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 frequency, I should say, in the Bible, I think that we do see a priority scale um, in, in the Bible. Now, before you follow up, I want to say, but it doesn't negate. It doesn't negate my other responsibilities. Because, because if it did, then um, God would say somewhere in the Bible, but don't worry about being an ambassador. Oh, don't worry about being a worker. Don't, no, he doesn't say that. He, he emphasizes that too. I just think there's, a, there's an order in which it comes. Yeah, yeah. So just to back up what you're saying with clear, some clear verses, in, in 1 Timothy 3, Paul is giving Timothy qualifications for elders and deacons. And, and for an elder, he, he says he must manage his own household well. He must manage his house. He must take care of his family. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. He, if he can't care for his family, how can he care for the church? That's what he says. Mm -hmm. Later, to deacons, he says, let, let deacons each be husbands of one wife, manage their children and their households well. And then, that's just to deacons and elders, but then to the whole church, in chapter 5, verse 8, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If you don't take care of your family, you might be the best church member that has ever existed, and you're worse than an unbeliever. Yeah. So, so there's a clear priority given in Scripture to your family, to yeah. your marriage, and to your children before you're a worker, before mm -hmm. you're a church member, before you are an ambassador in, in the sense of the time you spend going and sharing the gospel. There, there's a clear priority there. But like you said, does that negate Jesus' commission? 
It doesn't negate it. It doesn't negate it. But he doesn't say if anyone doesn't go and preach the gospel at Oxford Lake when you have that opportunity, he's worse than an unbeliever. No, but he says if he doesn't love for and care for his family, he's worse than an unbeliever. I mean, that see the the priority there. Yeah, I think one way this helps is when we're making decisions, just day to day decisions in our lives, just get that picture or write it up on your wall like Ryan has done of your responsibilities in their proper priority. Now, we, went, we did workers before family members, but that was actually, we've got to switch that around, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you've got worshipers, husbands and wives, parents and children, workers, church members, ambassadors. That, that's, that's your priority, and you can make decisions around that. You, you can, if, if, you're t- if you have two options, am I going to spend time with my kids, or am I going to go share the gospel at Oxford Lake, and, and you can't do both today, that's going to help you make that decision, right? But, but again, as you look at your life, um, this is where we need to get to the third question, is that we can't, we can't fill up our time with the first three and then just say we're maxed out with the first three, the rest don't matter. Mm. But here's the problem. I, I was going to ask this question a different way. I started yesterday in my journal to, to go back through my sermons and to list out every responsibility that, that we have given in this series. And I quickly gave up making that list because it's a lot of responsibilities. We, we have a, a long checklist of responsibilities. If you just go through these sermons and write them all out, put them all on your to-do list and say, I need to make sure I'm doing all these things this week, that's going to be a tough life, all right? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's going to be difficult. So my question is when, when we're looking at the last seven weeks, we've heard all these responsibilities, we've, we've received this instruction, we want to move forward. Um, how do we avoid defeatism on the one hand, which is, that's impossible, I'm just going to write off the series as a whole. I can't do that, and so I'm just going to, I'm defeated, I'm not going not to worry about it. Or legalism on the other hand, which is, I'm going to make my Christian life about doing those responsibilities, and if I do it all, then I'm a good Christian. H- how do we move forward without being defeated because of this list and, all, and what seems overwhelming, and also without becoming legalistic checklist Christians? Does that make sense? It makes sense. I think that a number of people in this room would probably um, be in the defeated mode. Like, I just, I can't do all that. Like, sounds good, but I just, I think what I already have is enough. I mean, it's enough that it's more than enough than what what I can do. And this is what I think. I think that in order to not be defeated, I think we need to look at our roles. I think everybody in here who's a Christian needs to look at your roles. What has God called you to? Like one reason we did workers before we did family members because not everybody is married. Not everybody has a husband or a wife, but everybody is kind of a worker, whether you're a student, whether you're 12 or whether you're 20 or whatever the case may be. But this is what I would say is you need to look at everything that we looked at. If you haven't listened to every sermon, I think you should listen to every sermon. Um, in, in the list, the, the, seven, the seven sermons. And I think you need to, to think about what God has called you to, and I think you do need to write down what your identity is. Who, how does he want you to walk? So, Ron, I just happened to see you here. You, Ron, I think you should make a list of what God has ca- how he's called you to walk according to this sermon, and then this sermon series. And then I think you need to just meditate. Say, Lord, there were... 55 different responsibilities given here. I don't 
that just really blows me away. But I want to ask you now, would you please bring to my mind and to my heart where I need to hone in to be a better walker, to walk more carefully and more skillfully in my, in, in my life. And then I think we got to trust the Holy Spirit and, and trust the Word of God to bring illumination to you so that you can. I did this. And y'all, this is what I did. I said, Ryan, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make incremental improvement in each area. And I, I had one application for each of the, the identity markers that I have in my life after these last seven weeks. Man, I wrote them down, I typed them up, and like for one of them was, I want to spend no less than three hours with my wife every week, just my wife. Now that sounds like very little to some of y'all, but for us that would be a lot. And so I want to spend undistractedly no less than three hours with my wife. Yeah, I'll just jump in on that. Yeah. Well, you just said it's going to look so different for every one of us. And um, three hours is not enough for some of you husbands to spend with your wives. Um, three hours is, like you just said, that, that would be wonderful if you can get three hours. For some, for some of us, serving at the church is something that we should be much more involved in. For others, you, you need to realize that you should probably spend less time here and more time with your families. You should probably spend less time um, hosting people in your home and more time getting out into the community. But, but, but it's going to look different for every one of us. Some of us work jobs that, that go 10-hour um, days every day. And you only have some... That, that's why this text says redeeming the time, making the best use of the time. Wisely consider your life. Your, your life. And, and I think that while it's overwhelming to look at the responsibilities... It becomes less overwhelming if you take an approach of how do I order my life so that I regularly have a pattern where I'm with my family, with my church, with my community. If you, if you instill patterns for those things, then you don't need to go back to these lists every day and, mm -hmm. and ask that I check all these off. It, it's, it's more the approach of your whole life. And, and for some of you, that means that you need to consider making real changes yeah. to your life. Some of you might need to find a new job because you don't spend time with your family. Some of you might need to find a, a, a new method of your daily routine with your family so that you have more time to spend personal worship with. You, you need to be open to making, don't just assume that the way your life is ordered now is the way it should be ordered. That's right. But, but instead recognize, I, I, can, I can make changes. I can pray for changes. I can seek to to order my life differently so that I can redeem the time that I have each week and each day. That's really good. And I, let me just repeat it. Because I told Phil on Friday when we were talking about our, this potential Q&A, I said, Phil, I don't feel overwhelmed. But I think some people would feel overwhelmed by like this list and these identity markers and how we walk. And I said, the reason I don't feel overwhelmed is because I think of the pattern of life that we live. Like when you get into a pattern of life, that reflects the priorities that we've discussed, then it doesn't feel overwhelming. It feels overwhelming when you don't live in that pattern. Okay, so you need to get your life into that pattern. On the second part of that question, Phil, regarding uh, the checklist, and it just becomes, you know, basically pharisaicalism, checking off this thing, is y'all, there is no system, there is no program that I can commend to you that keeps you from being a Pharisee other than guarding your heart and allowing your heart to be overwhelmed and compelled by the love of Christ. Like, 
You hunger and long for a system and for a program so that you can check the list off. Why? Because a checklist doesn't require your heart. A checklist doesn't require your mind. A checklist doesn't require your soul. And I'm just going to tell you, that is the difference between Christianity and every other religion that's out there. And so you've got to guard your heart. You've got to, you've got to warm your heart to the love of Christ. You've got to, you've got to just give your heart to the, to, the, to the greatness of Christ. And then when your heart is overwhelmed in a good way by Jesus, then this stuff, it begins to flow. Now, a checklist could be helpful, but you can't start there because if you start there, it'll end badly. Yeah. I'll, I'll say one more thing on this question. It, I think some of us don't like the idea that the Christian life is intense. Mm. That, that mm. We, we don't want to approach our lives with intensity and effort, and, and that, that gets tiring, right? Mm. I want to read this from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3. He says, I've counted everything as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Like, if you have one passion that you're intense about in life, let it be knowing Christ. Mm. Let, let, let that be what you're intense about. Mm. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then a few verses down, he says this, not that I've obtained this and not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I press on because Christ has made me his own. I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Mm. So, so we're pressing on. We're straining ahead. Our passion is to know Christ and to experience life with Christ knowing that he's made us his own. Mm. Knowing that it's not about obtaining it. The goal of our life is not to obtain to, to the point where we can say, got it. Mm -hmm. We're never going to get there. The, the, the point is, I want to know Christ more. That's it. I'm going to strain toward that in every moment of my life. Phil, I have enough self-awareness that I, I realize that I'm, I'm the most demonstrably intense person in the congregation, probably. Amen. <laughs> okay? And, but but I, I'm aware of that. But this is what I would say. So if I say that I, I want to know Christ... And I want to make him known. I mean, that's how I say it. That, that's, that's my demonstrative intensity. But this is what I would say. I would say that any Christian should say in whatever tone and in whatever cadence, I want to know Christ. I really want to know him. And I want to know the fellowship that I'm longing for. I know I'll have it in heaven, but I want to experience it now so that I can be the best ambassador and the best husband and the best dad that I possibly can be. Like, if you don't want to say that in your tone and in your cadence, then that's where I think the problem is. Because I think that I may know Christ and the power of and et cetera, et cetera. That's for every Christian. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do want to, I know we're running a little over, but just give a couple hypothetical scenarios for us to, to walk through. These are hypothetical situations, but as I describe them, you might think, that I have you in mind, and I don't, but it just, I think these really apply to a lot of us, all right? So, so first, Mrs. Stay-at-home mom with three children and a newborn baby. You don't have me in mind. Yeah, yeah, uh, not you, Okay, Ryan, okay. She, she's, yeah. Yeah. she's heard this series, and she's just hmm. feeling either defeated or just incredulous that, that, I, that in my sermon I would say, you need personal worship every day. 
Mm. And she's thinking, I, I can't get two minutes to myself every day right mm. now. Mm. And, and we recognize that that's, that's there. Yeah. Um, and that's why I want to give these hypotheticals is, is take Mrs. Stay-at-home mom here, newborn baby, three other children, husbands working hard, long hours, and how are they supposed to respond to this series? Yeah. I think the first thing that I would say to this person is um, Christ has redeemed you. He, he has taken you out of the pit of your sin and put you up on the mountaintop of His love and His grace. And no matter what you do today, you need to change diapers and feed and teach out of your redemptive status, not, not in order to gain or earn something for you. I think that a, a mom in this condition loses spiritual awareness very easily because meditation is, is, is little. You know, you don't have the time to meditate. But I, so I think that every day you need to start the day knowing who you are, knowing whose you are. And then when you, when you know who you are and whose you are, then it causes you to be able to deal with life and function. So let's just say you don't have two minutes to have personal alone time. Like you can even go to the bathroom by yourself. Well, you pray with one of your children and you let that be your personal worship time. And, and you just are as earnest as you can be with your daughters or with your sons in that time. And knowing... God, this is all I've got for you. This is all I have today. Please accept it as, as worship. I, I, think, I think that the heart of the matter is, is where, where it's at. Um, but this is the temptation. The temptation is, is I don't have time. I'm struggling. And so this season of my life, I'm just going to have to put aside these callings. And the Lord is saying, no, don't put aside the callings. Don't put extra weight on yourself, don't, but don't put them aside enjoy me as you enjoy the, the blessings and the responsibilities that I have sovereignly given to you. That's probably not practical enough, but... Yeah, well, on a practical level, I'd just say there, there's going to be seasons where some responsibilities on that list um, you won't be doing. I, I think if, if you look back at your life 30 years from now, um, if those entire 30 years you never shared the gospel... That's a problem. But if those three months, those first three months with that newborn, you weren't in the community, but the rest of the time, once you adjusted that, you were, that, that's a life of faithfulness. That, that's, a, that's a life that is devoted to the glory of God. So, so don't make every season have to be all of it at once. Sometimes we're just in different seasons of life, but always press toward faithfulness in all these areas and, and, and rest, in, rest in the fact that God knows and he provides everything you need to, to do his will. He's not going to call you to do something that he won't give you the resources to do in his word, in his church, by his spirit. Let me, let me just give an example, and I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable, Jeremy and Trina, but we were over at Jeremy and Trina's house uh, probably a couple months ago, and uh, a lady comes pulling up to their house with uh, a young son, probably three or four years old, and she just drops, she just drops her, her son off for Jeremy and Trina to, to watch. And Trina said that um, she had carried her children to the park and had befriended this woman. And Trina, I don't know, had y'all been around each other two or three times by that point? Something like that, maybe? maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And this woman felt so comfortable with Trina that she's now dropping her off for Trina to watch while she goes to, to school. And this is what I thought. I thought, okay, Trina, how many children do y'all have? Five. Now five, so, <laughs> all right. So she has five children and two, you know, small ones. 
but she used the means necessary in order to be an ambassador, and that was a blessing to this woman, and they've actually come to church. They, they came to church uh, a couple of Sundays ago. And so I guess my, my point is, is a strategic approach, even when you have children, you can still serve as an ambassador. Oh, yeah. yeah. And something that's really good that you're hitting on there is it's not, okay, right now I'm a dad. Take the hat off. Now I'm a husband. Take mm. the hat off. Now I'm an ambassador. Uh, I think it's better to know you're all of these things all the time. You, and so be ready in a moment's notice to be an ambassador. Mm. To, to give that message of reconciliation. Be ready in a moment's notice to be a church member and to love your brother or sister and to, and to pick up the phone and listen to them and pray with them. Be, be ready. Don't just put on that responsibility and that role when it's time in your schedule, but be all of them at once, knowing that before you're all of those, you, you are a worshiper, you are a Christian. That's right. I'll, I'll give one more hypothetical here. Um, the three-pillar family three-pillar family, who spend so much time in worship, fellowship, and discipleship that there's literally no opportunities for them, as far as they can see, for mission. They, 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 they're, they're always here worshiping. Mm. And, and they, they host people, and they stay for the meal, and they serve with them, they're always fellowshipping, and, and they're here for build, they teach, they serve. They, they, they are, in all these pillars, exemplary Christians. But they're three-pillar family. Yeah. Um, well, you've already, you've already said it about five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, Phil, when you said some of you need to reorient the pattern of your lives. Okay? One of the reasons we did reach on the last Wednesday night is to get you out of the church building into people's lives. That's one of the reasons why we did this. And this is what I would say. I... Um, I've had the privilege, as many of y'all have, to be in different churches in my life. And there are those Christians at different churches where they're there, they're there every time the doors are open. As a matter of fact, they have keys to the, keys to the doors, and they're the ones who have the, the keys on the side, and they're um, unlocking and locking and shutting the lights off and in and out, and you, you can count on it. They are there. But they're never at Starbucks. They're never at the park. They're never in relationship with their next door neighbors, you know, just spending time in their neighbor's living room. And, and this is what I would say is that is, a, that is an erroneous view of Christianity. And so I think that the three-pillar family needs to become a four-pillar family by reorienting um, their, their life pattern. And it takes work. It takes effort. It's, dis, it's, it, it's, it's not comfortable. It's awkward. You're, sometimes you expose your children to things that you wish your children weren't exposed to. I mean, all of that is the reason why you're at church all the time but not in the world ever is because there's just some, some risk involved. But, I mean, whoever said that living the Christian life was not risky? I mean, it's risky. And I think we've got to risk. I mean, if we don't risk, I mean... Was Paul not risking when he went to Thessalonica? Was he not risking when he went to Berea? Was he not risking when he went to Athens? I mean, um, it, it's risky. Yeah. And listen, I, I'm so glad I'm going to these verses because we're going to be in Philippians starting in January, and there's another Philippians passage here that I think helps with this. Paul's in prison, and he might die. At this point, he's not really sure what's going to happen to him. It turns out he doesn't die, and he, and he even communicates here. He, he, he's pretty sure God's not going to let him die. Here's what he says. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It's my eager expectation. It's my hope 
But then he says that, that with full courage, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Yeah, then yeah. he says this, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. Listen, my desire is to depart and be with Christ. Paul's desire is to get out of here. Paul does not want to be in the world anymore. He wants to be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. It is better to be with Christ, dead here, with Christ in heaven, than to be alive here. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I I know that I will remain and continue with you all. And, And here's the point. Worship and fellowship and discipleship, if that's all the Christian life is about, it would be better for God to zap us all up right now. We can worship in heaven, we can fellowship in heaven, and we're going to be just like Christ in heaven. If that's what the Christian life is about, then, then what are we doing here? Because the, the, the point's not to, to necessarily arrive, as Paul says later, but if mission is a purpose of our lives now, then it's more necessary for us to be here. We woke up today because God has us on mission. He, he would zap us up right now, and, and Christ would return, and we would, we would be with him, and it would be far better. And, and there's a part of us that says that's what we want. But if we're here, then, then we know God has us on mission. We're, you know, we're called to have wisdom. Wisdom is the skill to live life to the glory of God and the joy of all people. And so, like, I'm not getting, I'm not getting on a plane this afternoon with my family and, and, and traveling to North Korea. You know, that wouldn't end well, but it wouldn't end well, namely because we wouldn't even get the opportunity to preach Christ before we were killed. Okay, so we, I'm saying we have to have wisdom because there are people out here who desperately need Christ. We go, we go caroling on Wednesday and people have Christmas trees and lights and everything. But when you come up to them to sing about Christ, they turn their lights off. They don't they don't think they need Christ. They don't want to hear about Christ. Right. And here we are, perfectly put in this place to be ambassadors for Christ. And we got to realize there's going to be some pushback. There's going to be some rejection. There's going to be some ridicule. And we got to push through that, that discomfort. If we're, of course, I'm, I'm preaching the ambassador message now, so um, I better stop. But yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Well, we're, we're going to wrap up here. Um, got a, a meal coming tonight. We have our Christmas service. This is, this is a great time of worship for us. It's, it's, it's going to be a night where we hear the gospel, we sing these carols that are just some of the best worship songs that we get to sing once a year and, and just fellowship together. But it's also a night that we're hoping many visitors come, many community members come, and, and together we can, we can be a witness both in the way we worship. So, so come tonight ready to worship God with, with reverence and awe so that they can see what it looks like for people to sing to God and then come ready to engage, ready, ready to love, ready to declare the message, ready, ready to be a winsome ambassador representative of Jesus Christ tonight. And so, so I'd say get here at 5.30 yeah. and, and just be ready to, to serve and to participate. Um, and, and then in response to this discussion and to response to this series, I, I think, again, because I think we're so prone to be defeated about these things, let's remember that Christ has taken hold of us, that that before the foundation of the world, God declared that we would be blameless before him at the end of the world, that, that we stand in grace, and that our lives now are, are, is really one pursuit. 
to know Christ more and to experience fellowship with Christ more as we walk as husbands and wives, parents and children, workers and ambassadors and church members and worshipers. All right, so let's, let's stand together and, and we'll just close our service in prayer and we'll have a fellowship together. Oh, Father, we thank you that when we walked according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the sinful desires of our, of our hearts, that in that time, you gave your son. While we were enemies, you sought to make peace, and, and you took our sins in him on the cross. He, he's paid for every single one of them. And you've adopted us as your sons, and, and we are freer than anyone on the earth totally free, totally in a position of rest and grace. And because of that, God, we want to strive ahead. We want to strain forward. We want to beat our bodies, and we want to press on toward Christ who has taken hold of us. And Lord, we would pray for help. We'd pray for continued wisdom. Pray, pray that you would give the ability for each of us to counsel one another and to encourage one another in these things. Help us to to, as church members, encourage each other in our worship, in our family lives, in our missional lives, God, our working lives. Help us to, to be lights that shine in the darkness. Lord, we would pray for tonight and ask that you would um, do a sanctifying and saving work mm. through the gospel preaching and singing tonight that will take place. Mm. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.